1: Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Fred, your host and sports writer for We have reached the the sky is falling and the earth is ending, the don't look up version of the Michigan State basketball season in the past week or so after the Spartans suffered losses to Rutgers and Wisconsin. Now, this is uh, your normal February, January, February, March swoon for the Spartans. Um, for our most ardent listeners of Spartans Week, you may recall last year when this happened. The three of us, and by the three of us, I mean Lansing State Journal of sports, Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State b writer Chris Solari. We basically did the op on the Michigan State basketball season, talking about a lot of different things, including where does the Monty Bates fit into the Spartans, who's leaving, what happens next year, and of course. Uh, right after we did that, the Spartans beat three top five teams and managed their way into the NCAA tournament. So I don't think we'll be doing that this year. So uh, I think we've got a lot to cover.
0: I believe if you go back and listen, I'm pretty sure that I said that that could be possible, but I doubted it. I
1: I will give you credit. I think you actually did say that, Chris. So uh, I'm sorry for I'm sorry that I grouped you in with us, Chris.
2: Here's <laughs> here's the one caveat, though. Phil is that like yes, this happens there's something that goes wrong every year there's but but every year is is like last year was very different than this year like yeah. this is not a bubble team yeah. um and and last year was a team that was on the wrong side of the bubble for for most of the most of the season but where where i what I do think has happened for the first time all season is we've reached an a, a something that's concerning like it's not just you know Rutgers was explainable it's it's that you get blitzed on the road it's a um, it, it, it's a throwaway game it happens every year often multiple times to a lot of teams it was the first time it had happened to MSU really this year whatever that's a desperate bubble team you know trying to trying to make hay the game against Wisconsin I thought there were things that you look at and go hmm that could that could be uh-oh
0: some of them have been persistent. I mean, the turnovers have been there and that was an issue, uh, particularly late in the game when, when they got close, but the rebounding, uh, I mean, they were getting cleaned off the boards at the beginning of the game pretty significantly. They couldn't, they struggled to defend in the post. I mean, you know, against wall and, and, and the big men there and, you know, dribble drive penetration was there. I mean, there was, there's a lot of things that have been kind of trending that way for the last few weeks that kind of came into coalescence these last two games. I mean, Michigan State hasn't led in either of these games. They didn't lead at Rutgers, and they didn't lead in Wisconsin. When was the last time you can remember that happening?
2: There have been seasons where Izzo has done something, though, right? Where he has is, he is interjected something. There's been a point in time where something sort of had to change. And, you know, Chris, you and I have talked about like th- there there are some comparisons to 2015 with this group. Now, I, I would very much argue that 2015 was way more of a, a bubble team than this. Uh, and this team has more talent around. But that was a junior Denzel Valentine, senior Travis Trice trying to, you know, figure out how to carry a team. And this team's less dependent on, on two guys. But I remember writing similar to what I wrote in the crit takes the other night back then about those two guys after a loss to Maryland, where it's like they looked like they were deferring, like like no, no, you guys are it now. You you gotta do it. You gotta take your swings. And and eventually that team, those two figured it out. Trice obviously figured it out, but it was Izo putting Tum Tum Nairn in the starting lineup as a freshman that sparked that. Trice went to the bench for a little while, then came back to the starting lineup, but the, the, the dynamic shifted. And, and I don't know if that's finding a way to get Malik Hall going earlier, whether that's starting him or whatever you do. I, I don't think either point guard is necessarily warranted starting because, I mean, the last game they are both bad. But I, I just think that there may be a point where there's a move. And, and I don't know exactly what it is. But I do know that when you look at Malik Hall's slow starts – Seven, you know, and, and, and like a game at Illinois where he took over late, but too late. Game at Wisconsin took over for a while in the second half, but didn't do anything in the first half. Played seven minutes at Illinois in the first half, eight minutes against Wisconsin in the first half. Like, I, I think part of it is getting that guy on the floor more, and and look, he's got to do it himself too. It's not, it's not when he's on the floor. He's got to be, you know, he's got to be locked in. He's got to be focused. He's got to play with urgency. Um, and then you know, and I think. Gabe Brown also, you know, he's the guy who came off just a, a heater against Rutgers and then barely shot the ball. and I know he was defended well, and Izzo thought he played hard the whole time, but man, you got to have a, a little bit of a heat check game here and there and see if he still got it..
0: Oh, I mean, where do you even start off that? I mean, you know there there does need to be probably some sort of shift. I mean, they've gone pretty much at the same static lineup all year now. What is that shift? I mean, is it is, is it Hogard? over Walker is it Hall over uh, Hauser I I mean Hauser hasn't been playing poorly I mean you 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 know he's been contributing on the rebounding end and you know and that's you know listen he's when you're struggling to rebound you want at least to have that guy that's rebounding in there I mean is it is it going with the small lineup and going with Hauser and Hall and putting Bingham on the bench I mean. You know, he had two rebounds that he might have had 15 points. but he had two rebounds against Wisconsin and they were getting cleaned on the glass. And I think they gave up 10 offensive boards. Again, that's been a persistent problem. Um, all these things that kind of go towards the toughness factor. And if you're Tom Izzo and you're looking for a quote unquote toughness, I mean, you, you, you know, Marcus Bingham's limitations. You've seen Marcus Bingham's limitations. You've seen his upside as well both on the offensive end and as a shot blocker. But, you know, he gets pushed around in the paint still. He's, he, he, you know, he has trouble going up two hands for rebounds. He lost those out of bounds late in that game. Uh, you know, boards that a senior needs to secure. And I think, you know, there's maybe there's something to be said there for, you know, making the move at the five. Maybe you go with marble. Maybe you go small with Hauser and Hall you know, and maybe you make some moves at the point guard. I, you know, Jaden Akins, I think has been playing exceptionally well. You know, do you try and work him in at some point? It's just, there's a lot of, and he's talked about this considerably all year about how versatile this team is and how many different types of lineups he can go with. I think right now, it's gotta be maybe doing that little shakeup at at the start of games to, to kind of, Kind of jumpstart things a little bit and and find some of those different combinations. He showed he wasn't afraid to do something different by running Max Christie at the point guard late in the first half of that game. That's for sure.
2: So, and, and here's the, the, the thing that I think he, there are a couple things that make this tricky. One is the two the two guys who come off the bench right now that, that are basically platoon players, which is Malik Hall and A.J. Hogard, don't seem to mind it, right? The two guys that start over them uh, are guys who I think from a just making sure that they're locked in and, and you don't lose them confidence wise and other things, if if they view something as a demotion and Tyson Walker and and Joey Hauser, like I, I could you know, I can see that um, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I I can see that being an issue with one of those guys, and they won't say it. It'll be fine for him, but I can—I don't know that that works. Now, you're a college basketball player. You, you got to be tough enough to—to—to to, to make it. Uh, you know, not to let that bother you. And if the right move is the right move for the team, um, you know, you do that. But I—I um, I think there there are some delicate things within the lineup that that, that would keep him from doing that. I, so I—I I do think there there's some things that Izzo is, has to consider in terms of, of of that. But there comes a certain point where. You have to do what's best for things. And Malik Hall is the guy that has shown the the best signs of being a go-to guy, a guy who can carry you for stretches. And for whatever reason, he's had poor first halves. Now that's on him partly too. I mean, he was good in the second half and didn't start the second half. It's not like Izzo leaves him on the bench for 12 minutes. Originally he comes in, uh, you know, after three minutes and he plays pretty early. So it's not, but for whatever reason, that guy is not giving you in the first half what he is in the second half. And that's been a, a, prevailing thing. And so a part of being a coach and he put this on him and getting your team prepared is figuring out what guys react to what situations better. And, and the other thing I would look at and, and I would have a, a you know, there, there are things, you know, Marcus Bingham doesn't always rebound great. And, 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 but I thought overall he he played an okay game the other day. I thought, you know, he had three steals. I didn't really block a shot, which is kind of strange for him, but the guy, Julie, Julius marble has not been rebounding all that well either. And to me, if, if, you, if you're Marble, you know, one of the things I would say to him is you're either pulling down six, seven rebounds a game, or we're just going to play Hauser at the five in those minutes because the the best basketball they played the other night and that they played at times. And there are a couple guys who were on the floor that they need to look. I mean, Jay Nakins was on the floor for a lot of that, but Joey Hauser and Malik Hall were on the floor together. And there are things that that Hauser gives you in terms of how things move offensively and, he gives up some things too but if you're julius marvel you have to be the one providing those things to give up you have to be it, it's got to be worth the difference and if you're not rebounding at a high level and if you're setting screens that are getting called for fouls and you're not providing a ton then they're better off giving malik hall more minutes and playing those two a, alongside each other and, and um and i so i do think they need to look at they need to look at all that that, that said it's it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's still a team that, I mean, we'll learn a lot against Indiana and Penn State because these are two really important games given the stretch ahead. Because, it, you know, if, if they were to falter here, it could get dicey real quick on, on, on a, a really nasty stretch.
0: Marble screens have become Anaganye like in, yeah. in terms of, of the persistence of, of fouls that, that are being called with them. And refs, you know, refs are looking at them. So uh, he's got to clean that up without question.
2: Yeah. And, and they've got it. And, and, and players and a couple of those have been people not waiting for them to get set. You know, um, that's got to fall on the, the, the dribbler, too. But but that that is a problem that happens And this college refs. You know, I have my own opinions and things, but uh, this is where they, nope. they also. When you get a reputation, these guys are not great at, at not uh, giving you a clean slate every game. That's not their strength is a is a. Uh, these crews—they just don't. They, if you get a reputation, you're 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 kind of toast.
1: Yeah, Graham, feel free to give us the your opinions on on college refs. <laughs> yeah, so this, is a, this is a new Graham couch. I, yeah, this is a this is a safer work podcast. Boy,
2: if I if, if only I had control of the rules, the six fouls, the challenges, over forty fouls yeah. every game. The big thing would be over just... forty fouls in any particular game would be an automatic review. Those officials could not officiate another game till that game was independently reviewed. That would be my big thing. That would keep people from having these foul fests that that uh, make them think twice about it.
0: Or, anyway. or just uh, hold off their,
2: their paychecks once it hits 50.
0: Once it hits yeah,
2: yeah, 50, just send them off the court altogether.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you guys on the spot here a little bit. You guys have both presented kind of multiple options for what you think Michigan State could do in terms of adjusting the line, getting the most out of the team. But uh, I want to ask each one of you what you think, as, as keen observers of the squad, what do you think is your lineup? What, what is the move that Tom Aziz should do with the lineup? Chris, I'll start with you.
0: You know, I, I think the first thing you should try is, is, is maybe going with Hogard over Walker at the one. Um, just as a little kickstart and see if coming off the bench helps Walker look for his shot more aggressively and helps Hogard maybe slow some things down um, that's probably where I would start. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, remember this is still a 17 and five team, even though they've struggled over the last seven or eight games. So I, I don't know how much you really want to, to upset the apple cart. Um, but the other option I think would be trying to go with hall over Bingham and, and go with, with that smaller lineup as well. So it's good to me it's one or the other. I don't think you make both those moves all at once. Uh but I, I think that the Christie situation of running him at the one a little bit showed that Izzo's he even admitted he said that was a moment of desperation. So I would not be surprised to see some some shake up in the lineup come Saturday against Indiana.
2: Yeah, I, and I would also look at the idea of, and was talked about this a little more, and this sort of was counterintuitive to what just happened in the last game where neither point guard played very well. I would look at trying to play them both more together. And, uh, and so I know that sounds a little crazy based on what we just saw, but I do think part of getting Tyson, first of all, you get multiple ball handlers. Both are good on-the-ball defenders. Uh, it's not a team that has a lot of – I mean, Gabe Brown is not a great ball handler. You're playing Gabe Brown and Max Christie a lot of minutes. If you if you just lessen those a little bit, I think Tyson Walker off the ball is uh, somebody – You know, I, I think that's where
0: – Let me pose a question to you on that. Let's say that you it, that Izzo went that route and started both Walker
2: and Hope. I'm not saying start them. I, I don't think he'd start them. I'm just saying well, find, let's, find, let's a, just find say, a stretch in, for both of those guys. I
0: agree, but let's say that that's, that's the key. I mean, do you put Gabe Brown on the bench? I mean, that would be the logical guy to put on the bench with his struggles lately. Then all of a sudden you got both your captains coming off the bench.
2: No, I, I would I – would, yeah, I would not have – the guy I would not have in the game – I would either go really small with Gabe at the four, which I think is something that probably you could consider, although I, I think at this point that's not going to happen. Um, but I would um, – the thing is, if you go with those two ball handlers, I would more likely have Gabe and less likely have Christy. Um, I I think I would put Christie to not play with them. Now, again, that's, you know, this is right now, this is trying to find a solution to something that um, may not have a solution, you know, and that's, that's ultimately. And so, you know, one of the things that they're and the solution to me really comes down to other than Max Christie developing faster than, He's developing. There's nothing wrong with the pace he's developing. There's nothing wrong with Max Christie and the player. Like you look at Johnny Davis and Keegan Murray, two of the best players in the league right now, as sophomores and who they were as freshmen. Neither one of them was as good as Max Christie is as a freshman and what they've become. He needs that off season with his body. He's figure, you know, figure out oh, this is what it takes in the Big Ten. You can see when he drives into the teeth and gets pushed around a little bit. There's certain things he he can't do yet. I think he's gonna be fine. I think he's gonna be a, a, a front line player a year from now. But for this particular team in this particular season, there are two guys, and it, it, they're your two captains. And one's a senior now. He may be back, so you don't have the same desperation of Trice, and but who knows? But the you've got Gabe Brown and you've got Malik Hall, and they're the closest things you have to go to guys now. And so they have to understand it, and they have to play with that urgency every second they're on the court, and they have to help bring other guys along. And 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 so that's where the 2015 comparison happens because. At a, at a certain point fairly late in that season, it did not look like Trice and Valentine had the goods to get that done. And then they did. And so the question is, but it was not it was it was interjecting tum tum nair that changed. It took Trice off the ball, right? So so what do you do that 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 helps? No, I don't think either one of them though is played out of, you know, is, needs to be at a different position. It's just a matter of getting them going earlier. And working more things to them. So, what? How do you how do you do that? And I and I think there's some tinkering somewhere that has to help that.
0: Well, and I think if you're going to make those 2015 comparisons, on top of that, you need Gabe Brown to have a finish to the season like Brandon Dawson did that year, because you know Dawson did a lot of little things in that that season to to really help propel them.
2: Down the stretch, and they don't have um, that guy. They don't have a guy that they don't have that guy. scares that. I you mean, that, that, that was a was, big
0: deal. You yep. know who that guy was for this team? Aaron Henry. There's a lot of different things that that happen. I think um, you know that 17 and five might be you know 19 and three or 20 and two right now.
2: Yeah, although I, you know I, I, there are a lot of chemistry things that I don't know would be the same either. I, I don't know that this team That's would... also as well. Um, no, but 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 all good points, and I, I think. The other thing is, it was interesting because the way Izzo talked the other day, it felt like he was really close to making that move, that interjection, that, that change, or doing something, trying something. But I also don't know if it's 100% necessary yet. You know what I mean? Like, that was the first game. It was Obviously, they played poorly against Rutgers, but again, we have talked about that was just one of those games you get blitzed. Like, they've had one game now where you went, hmm, that could be an issue, and so I'm, and I know they've had other games that didn't play well, but this was the first one where I really sat there and went, "Wait, you could see how this unravels," and and so that that's why I mean I, I don't know if you need to do it yet, but I think you're you're
1: close. I think there was a tweet last week, and I think Chris might have retweeted or quote or tweeted about Tom is going to the war back to the war drill in practice to instill some of the
0: toughness.
1: Yes to instill some toughness in this team. And the uh, well that clearly did not work this time around. And I think that was the kind of the focus, not the wardrobe, the toughness part of it, of a piece that went up that you wrote, I believe that went up today, Thursday, Chris, uh, is it, are we at the point of the season where th- this team just isn't ever going to reach the rebounding goals that teams of Izzo's past have, have accomplished, or is there still time to, to write the ship at least in the rebounding aspect of Izzo's expectations? Well, there's always time to write the ship,
0: and if you don't think so, you haven't been paying attention the last 27 right, years, right. right? I mean, you know, there have been moments like this where, you know, I mean, even the 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 Chris Hill and Alan Anderson team that that made that 05 Final Four run. I, I remember our, our 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 sorely missed colleague Drew Sharp challenging that team's toughness, mental toughness at that point and they went on that run that that tremendous run uh to to the final four in St. Louis that year. So, yeah, I mean they they've got pieces there that can definitely do it. I mean Hauser's shown the ability to do it. Bingham needs to have the want to. Um I think that's a big part of it. I think there's a lot that falls on Marcus Bingham, you know, whether he's capable of of kind of handling it or not I mean he needs to do a better job of stepping up and being more than just a seven-footer who's content shooting fadeaway jumpers or hovering around the three-point line and getting in and getting offensive boards I think he is a critical critical guy to instilling some of that I don't know if he'll be the quote-unquote toughness I mean that's got to be a guy like Marble and maybe to some extent Hauser who I thought also you know, we talked about Hall having, you know, kind of that, you know, five to eight minute stretch where he kind of took over the game and attacked the basket and and really did a lot of things. I thought Hauser at times also did that and, and looked a little more aggressive, kind of with that swooping scoop shot across the lane. So, you know, those two guys also are right there with with Bingham and having to to do more of that. I mean, if Gabe Brown can't take the ball off the bounce and you know, use that athletic ability that we've seen at times where he can elevate quickly and, and emphatically, um, he's also like Bingham, just content sitting around the, the three-point arc. So I, I think that's where it falls. I think it falls on Bingham and and Brown in particular to kind of elevate beyond what they have done uh, over the course of their first three and a half years. They need to kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel and, and realize that, it could be an early exit this year if they aren't going to both mentally and physically toughen up and do the things that that Izzo's talk about for three and a half years that they need to do.
2: I mean, part of the problem with a year like with urgency is that yeah. there are no seniors, right? I mean, like there is. Well. You can say that these guys have to decide to come back, and they're not planning to come back. But there is a fire inside you that is different when you know this is it, and um, you but know it's also
0: got to be a two-way street. And if you aren't producing that kind of with that toughness, would they be welcome back?
2: Well, I mean, it certainly I, I they, think they, so. I, but they don't have any answers other than Bingham. So I, I mean, I would, I would, I would think. I mean, the thing about Bingham that's interesting—we talk about Dawson, and obviously they're very different players. But, but what I mean is, Bingham is a guy who at least provides a level of uh, difference-making, right? And, and and he's a guy that not every team has. He's a guy that um, – and so I think there are um, elements of, uh, you know, that, that you go, okay, this – this, um, you know, I he can give something that not every team has in terms of rim protection and other things, and that's where he has value. And when he gives of himself – I mean, we've seen it this year. It, it's in him. You know, we talk about rebounding. So if you wanted to put the best – rebounding team on the floor, right? If that's your goal and, and just looking at it, you know, rebounds per 40 minutes, for example. Uh, I mean, Marcus Bingham averages leads by a long way on this team in conference play 12 rebounds per 40 minutes, but it's not a great, you know, Lee calls at 9.4, Joey Hauser, 9.6. But the guy who's, if you really want to improve the rebounding on this team in terms of it's, it's Jay and Aikens. Like if that becomes a priority for you and Akins and is a guy who I wonder, you know, we talk about the tum, tum insertion in 2015, or is just something different? You know, in 2018, 19, it was Xavier Tillman over Nick Ward. And then, and, but that was by circumstance. And then they kept uh, Tillman in because it was going so well. Um, the, the problem with like adding Aikens to the beginning of those games or whatever is, you know, who, you know, Gabe Brown is a guy who I think, even though, uh, you know, it, is not always a great rebounder. I don't think. I don't know that you'd bring him off the bench. I don't know that you'd want to go that that young. Um, but do you put you could put Akins over Christie. You know, you could do something like that if your priority was let's have a different start. And if that's what you're looking at, and um, and and, and that might be something that's important to this team. Wouldn't change the minutes a ton. Christie's still going to play a ton. I don't know how he'd react to that. And th- and that's the thing. You you have to have the pulse of the team to realize which guys are really affected by. The by all of a sudden not starting if they've been starting which guys view it is which guys can handle it and 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 whether that really is is the thing or do you just sit down with Malik Hall and say you know when you get into the game three minutes in you've got to you've got to change everything you've got to come in and you've got to be the guy you know there's no easing in here let's go you know and and so I, I I think you know there are a lot of different ways to look at it
1: a thing that I really find interesting is there's a couple outliers in here but the Spartans really aren't scoring that many points and this yeah, I, this is maybe the culmination of everything you guys have talked about but you know their last game 62 63 65 uh, 83 against Michigan a little bit of an outlier there 55 against Illinois another outlier you know 86 against Wisconsin uh, 62 against Northwestern so i want is there a way to fix that, or is it just got to be on the defensive end where where they where they're winning these games
0: well i mean let's let's look at at two of the big culprits that have been causing part of that. I mean, one of it's turnovers. They've been shooting well uh, outside of the, the first part of that Wisconsin game uh, and really the the Rutgers game. They didn't shoot poorly. Um, a lot of that has to do with the turnovers limiting their possessions and the amount of offensive rebounds that they've given up that have given second-chance possessions to the other team without getting many themselves on the other ends to, to add chances. So, you know, those are a couple of things that kind of, that, that speaks back to the toughness is you've got to be able to do those sort of things. Um, So, you know, the mental toughness of cutting down the turnovers, you know, this team at at this point, you know, short of, of, uh, you know, kind of like a miraculous turnaround, which we've seen before. I mean, we saw it with, in that 15th season, we saw it with the free-throw shooting. Remember how they struggled, 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 get to the postseason, and then all of a sudden, they start hitting free throws. The same thing can happen with the turnovers with this team because they have they have period, long periods where they don't turn the ball over, but they turn them over in groups of sometimes two, three, five, eight at a time in, in a short period. So they're able to iron those things out and get more, opportunities on offense then i think the scoring goes up
2: when you look at their numbers they ought to be i mean offensively they've been pretty good and and so some of the numbers are you know real recent but if you just look at conference play this is a um you know this is a team that three-point shooting is is you know at the top of the conference pretty much um they're at number two at defensive three-point shooting still number one free throw shooting been fantastic you know their efficiency numbers are okay um rebounding numbers aren't great but they're they're not but there's things that have gone down um you know they're they're they they were way up there in block rate for a while but the big one is turnovers they're turning the ball over on more than 20 percent of their possessions and that's not ideal no yeah you know And, and and it's it's the worst by a long way and so i've thought the turnovers for a long time were a little overdone um in terms of the complaints about them but when you look, the, they aren't when, uh, you know, when you're the other factors that you ought to be better than they are given some of the other numbers. And um, they've you know, and they don't you know, they don't uh, it, you look at like non-steel turnovers on Ken Palm. This isn't like somebody coming in and swiping something, you know, they're they're over 10 a game on, you know, sort of the unforced turnover. Right. And and that's I don't know that uh, it's just it, it. I don't know that that issue goes away for this team. Um, but I I think
0: what's interesting about that is to me, this kind of goes back to everything Tom Izzo says, and and it's not just the toughness is about the physical side, which I think is part of it, but the mental side, because you see those turnovers like that, like Hogarth trying to throw the ball into the corner and throwing it over a guy's head out of bounds. I think Malik Hall, when he was, when he was surging and then that slowed the momentum down, you know, Walker getting picked. You know, the the but it's more the 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 illegal screens and throwing the ball away, the stuff that's self-created that that speaks to some mental toughness missing. Like we, we talk about the free throw shooting, right? I mean, they're up at the top of the conference, but how many one ones have, have they missed front ends on? How many late game free throws have they missed with the game in the balance at times? So there's some mental toughness things that need to be kind of figured out as well in both of those areas.
2: Yeah. And some of this is natural sweat equity. I mean, this is the, the, I mean, it's sort of what, what, what people want from this team, which was never a team that was, I mean, I think this team has outperformed expectations and I think this was always going to be a two year group more or less. And the, the what you really want is that you, you're hoping that they grow to the point by the end of this season that they're able to be in a position to make a run. And the, the idea that they were in the, the hunt for a big 10 title for a minute uh, w- was sort of based on overperforming and, 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 and a schedule that was easier in the first half of the, of the Big Ten um, season. But I, I think part of it is just the expectations for a group that wasn't constructed to, to, to win a title this year. So I, I think part of it is, is just understanding that, I mean, you're relying on a, on a transfer who's never played at this level, on a freshman in the starting lineup. You're relying on the veterans or guys who have never been in these roles, and and they're not, you know, some of these guys like Malik Hall lost that because of the COVID really lost that development of freshman and sophomore year. So this was his first full off season. He's probably a little bit behind where he would be. He's never been a front man. He's figuring that out. And and so I think there are just a, a number of, of of things that are natural sweat equity that, that are going to take time. And 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 there are certain guys like I think Max Christie is a sophomore, will be a star in the Big Ten. But some guys take a little longer. Some guy, I mean. I think it just sort of—I I, mean—I understand the natural frustration. The program has built itself to a point where, when they're not a contender, there is frustration. But I, I think if if you look at this as a two-year group and and, and you set your expectations realistically for what this team is, that um, the the real key for them is to to keep growing. And that's why the last game was a little concerning. Is it, it felt like a, a kind of a step backward and and so the key is keep growing as far as you can this year and if that requires jostling of the lineup or you know so that that needs to be done uh, to get the most out of out of this particular team
0: you know in, in talking about the the toughness factor and the mental toughness and and you mentioned and kind of alluded to it earlier about not having a go-to guy just just kind of looking at the shot attempts in, in Big 10 play I mean, Gabe Brown averages nine shots a game. Max Christie eight point three. Malik Hall seven and a half. Tyson Walker six point eight. So there's nobody that's really kind of got alpha numbers, even in terms of shot attempts. Now, some of that is the limited amount of shot attempts, as we kind of talked on. But you know, something's got to give there. You know, you, you know, even for for Izzo saying as much that he wants Walker to shoot more, and he's shooting over forty percent. You know, forty-two percent. You know where are those shots going to come from? You know, it. You know, well, maybe they passed
2: up a lot of them though in the last game. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, there there are shots to be had. Somebody just got to be got to want to take them a little bit. And and yeah. Um, you know, and I, and, you know, I think they're 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 veterans, especially like Christie. To me, is is he's you know they're, they're trying to get. Some, I liked what they did with him. I trying to get some stuff going downhill, the ball in his hands. You know, he just. Struggling a little bit, but I think that's fine. Um, I I think, you know, Gabe Brown can't have games where he takes five shots. And, you you know, and Malik Hall can't have games where he's not a factor in the first half. And those two things ultimately are, 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 are often the difference.
1: This is the the danger of just being one of the premier college basketball teams in the nation, where you do have a seventeen and five team. Yes, they have lost their last two games, but we're really doing a lot of nitpicking here. But, uh, but again, the expectation for Tom Izzo and Michigan State teams are so high that this is kind of this is kind of where we fall as we're you know about a month away from the NCAA tournament.
2: Uh, I think at the end of this, what you want is to not have regret,
1: right? This is why Tom uh, makes as much money as he does coaching basketball.
2: You got yeah, and and I, and I promised myself after 2018-19 when I wrote, I think it was 18-19, whatever. Yeah, no, no, sorry, it was 1920 when I wrote. When they when it really, it was a game in, about this time in in at Michigan that you know that it basically wasn't going to happen. And then they had a brilliant finish to the season. Um, that I would not write the obit on a on a, on a on a team too soon. Again, on one of his teams. This is a different situation. That team had Cassius Winston and that team had Xavier Tillman, and they had had a rough season at times, I think, for a lot of reasons people know with Cassius. And obviously, the tournament got canceled because of COVID. But uh, this is a, a, a team that's in a different growth space, uh, and they just need to keep make sure they keep
1: growing. Yeah. Well, let's uh, turn our heads to the Spartans' two upcoming games against Indiana and Penn State. We have talked about all of these all these foibles that have kind of thrown the Spartans off here the past couple of games. And even in last week's podcast, we talked about even though they were winning games, they'd really been pretty inconsistent in some of those, those wins as well. So, uh, what has to happen for the Spartans on Saturday? What specific things do you think will be the key to, to beating the Hoosiers and getting back on track?
0: Well, I'm going to be curious to see exactly what Indiana has in terms of roster after having their five guys, uh, that were suspended for the Northwestern game. And they, you know, they, uh, they, they they obviously lost that game and they've had some some issues of late. I think they've lost their last two um and three of their last five. But, you know, Indiana's, you know, kind of in that that Rutgers territory where you start looking at, at resumes and start projecting out what things they need to do and you know winning a tough game on the road against a quad one opponent is a big one. And so this is a big game for Indiana, and I expect with Dane Fife coming back, them, the, the Hoosiers to be very amped up, regardless of how who they have on the court and who's uh, available. But but certainly it's it's going to be a challenge because um, again, you know, going back to the same situations for Michigan State and previously, how do you prep for a team when five guys have been suspended?
2: That's that's a really good point. How do, and you know. The other thing for Michigan State that it often comes down to this year is they're just not going to overwhelm anybody. So yeah. it, it really is about mindset, and it's about execution, and it's you know it's playing with a purpose from the jump. You know they've had teams in the past that have not always brought it, and this team for a long time did, and that's what's a little interesting too. Like the the first couple months of the season, you think about this team going into Minnesota, uh, playing even up through the opening game. It felt like they were out to prove something. The schedule stiffens. Look, Minnesota was 7-1, and 10-3 at one point. Like, I think I, I get it. But I don't – it doesn't feel like they approach every game with that out-to-prove-something mentality. Um, and um, I that's – that's got to happen against Indiana, even if it's a team that you're – you know, that isn't – you know, it's easy when Illinois comes to town. You lost to them, and now Illinois has got Kofi back, right, And and – Cabrillo, and it's like, okay, you're out to prove something. It's easy when Purdue comes to town. It's probably easy at, at Iowa. It's a pretty good team, and yeah. on the road, and Luca Garza is getting his number retired. Which, by the way, those nights rarely go well for the visiting team. Um, yes yeah. The, yeah. Um, you know, but
0: listen, it, they set the bar with their performance in the Michigan game and the energy that they played with, start yeah. to finish.
2: And and it's and a Saturday game. In the end, it'll be a good crowd. They'll have the energy of Breslin they will have that and, and that will help the The midweek crowd is a very different crowd than the weekend crowd, just in terms of I mean, you feel the decibel difference and it's not Michigan, but Indiana is still a, a ticket. People will go to, uh, it's a Saturday game at three 30. It's like ideal sweet spot time for people traveling from out of town. It's it, it'll, they'll have that advantage. And, and, uh, and they've also got now two games in a row where things didn't go well. And, and, some real questions and if you want a situation where it's worth trying to prove something, this is it. Cause there's some, some reasons to doubt you right now.
0: Yeah. And it's not an easy trip to Penn state right now either. Just ask anybody that's been there. I mean, it's, you know, Penn state has been playing significantly tougher basketball under Micah Shrewsbury, you know, so they're, they're not the, the gimme that they once were, even though they've lost what, uh, five of their last six, I mean they took Michigan to the wire they took Wisconsin to the wire um so so you know they they beat Iowa so they they've they've been playing even though the results aren't there really good basketball lately so you can't just automatically check mark that as a win you know because if you do just look at what happened at Rutgers you know you you marked that you mark that down before you go and play the game you could get run out of that building although the rack and Bryce Jordan Center are as far apart as two arenas might be in the entire conference in terms of atmosphere and energy. First, remember what two years ago in in you know right before the shutdown, the last road game Michigan State had at Penn State, they were getting blitzed in the first half, and just like that Rutgers game, Penn State was hitting every shot, and then they start to chip away and go on a little bit of a run, and that entire arena emptied.
2: And, and here's the reason these games are important: Indiana and Penn State. Two games are going to be favored in, even if slightly, and and uh, need to probably win both. Because after that, it's and I know that some of these are home. They got their toughest games maybe at home, but Illinois at home. Then you're at Iowa, Purdue at home, at Michigan, at Ohio State. Five games in 12 days. And you could be improving as a team and not see a ton of results in that stretch. And and you know you can go one and four and still be playing decent basketball there. The problem is if you if you drop one of these games, it feels like a real skid, right? Whereas if you win both of these games, all of a sudden it's like well that's a five game stretch. You went one and four against the top of the league and you're you're solidly in the NCAA tournament. It's not. The end of the world. You finish with Maryland at home. You win that game. You go into the Big Ten tournament. You maybe get a win. Whatever. You're you're a six seed, right? The but if you if you lose, they lose one of these two games, and so then it's three of four, and then you go into that stretch and you drop four of five, and so it's you know it it, all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second, how how solidly are they in? Or this is this is this a a nine seed? They have some good things on their resume that are they're going to help, you know. But I. The, the, the These next two games, you know, the, the Big Ten um, title is out now, really. I mean, these next two games are about, um, you know, first of all, just securing things, making sure things are solid, and then being allowed to grow without it being part of a losing streak or without it being <laughs> a skid, and I think that's really important.
0: I wouldn't say the Big Ten title is out. I think that's important because I I think these teams have been beating up on each other. I think if you saw the, the momentary spot where it looked like Tim Frazier could be injured and significantly there's, there's those things that can happen here down the stretch and you don't know who's going to be out with COVID. I would not write Michigan state out of it because there's a lot of parameters that can change and there's still only one loss back in front of the, the leaders in the conference. That said, the schedule doesn't really shape up well for them as well either. So that's what the, where the toughness factor comes in. This is why Izzo's harping on it so much right now because he understands if you don't have the mental and physical toughness for that game, that stretch, what is it, five and 12, five games in 12 days, if you don't have that, then you are going to be out of it. Um, yeah. If you drop the game Saturday, you'll be out of it. you drop the Penn State game, you'll be out of it. But right now, going into those two games,
2: they're still in it. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to be Illinois and Purdue. I think mostly Purdue. Uh, Purdue's not Purdue's not losing again. I don't think, and they they they've just been a different team of late, and they're just clobbering people. And and you know, I mean, if, if Michigan State, you know, and, and hey boy, it would just the, the the room for error. Even if you somehow upset Purdue at home to find another loss for Purdue, and say you'd have to clean. I, I just I would be. Uh, I would bet my mother's house right now that Michigan State doesn't want to be 10-type. But I also bet my mother's house right on the right Everton now. game on Saturday, so who knows, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, Purdue's got a nice nice schedule shaped up there. But, once again, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, granted, Purdue doesn't play a whole heck of a lot of defense. So, anything can happen when you aren't playing defense. But, you know, there's so many things r- still with COVID – and potentially with injuries and, you know, just someone that, I mean, Michigan state, we've seen it before. They could just get hot and find the solution to get their, their mistakes cleaned up and play a little more like the team that was in November. I mean, in, in December and early January, I mean, there's, there's a potential for that. I'm not saying it could happen. And it will happen, but you know, right now, as of, today with those two games ahead they're not out of it they could be out of it come tuesday if they lose these next two but right now they're still
1: in the mix all right guys predictions for these next two games Graham, i'll start with you
2: i like them better at penn state because i like that matchup um i don't know again indiana's tough i don't know we haven't heard the length of the suspensions. I, I think they'll go. I think they're going to wind up two and zero in this stretch. Um, I don't know if we convincingly. I don't know if they'll fix everything. I, I, Penn, I, I like the game at Penn State. Traditionally, it's a place that it, it's it, especially a midweek game. Crowd won't be a huge factor. I, I like the way MSU matches up with the game. We've seen that game before, frankly, this year. Um, and I Indiana. I mean, I I think they're going to have the crowd behind them. If Indiana's a you know full full allotment of players. That gets a little trickier, but um, I, I sense that they might not be, and so um, uh, go, I, I'll go two and zero with this stretch going into that that brutal stretch, and and that and, and that two and zero then, you know, gets you to what ten league wins already, and 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 I think feeling in a pretty decent spot.
0: Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with Graham on on pretty much all accounts there, and you know, I think it also is important to build that momentum a little bit. Remember they, they went a- after the the struggles last year, they went to Indiana and kind of righted the ship at Indiana against the Hoosiers. And I think that's a chance to kind of do that, build a little momentum, you know, in the, the next two games. And, you know, in hindsight, who would have predicted and projected that they could win those games against the three top five opponents. Other than me, I mean, <laughs> other, outside of me, it was possible. Um, All right, Chris, but, take your uh, victory
1: lap. <laughs> I, I know.
0: I'm just, um, you know, putting the one finger up in the air as I do. Um <laughs> you pick out which finger it is? But, but I mean, listen. Uh, building momentum at this time of the year, particularly coming off a couple losses and and the way that they lost those games with flat energy and you know lifelessness. You know, <laughs> if they're not getting it at this point, they're not gonna get it. So, you know, I think you win these two games, you build that energy, you build that momentum, uh, and all of a sudden now you're, you're looking at, what, a five-game, six-game season uh, after that with, with all the big dogs ahead of you and you've got your your chance to win a conference championship or share of it within your power if you go out and win those games. So I guess, I think that's kind of what we look at. I think, you know, starting next week we'll start talking about the feasibility factor of it, but I think they do get through this week unscathed.
1: Perfect. I am with you guys. I think they will win both games and they will be 19 and five and maybe get back on track here a little bit. Okay. Well let's transition to football here a little bit. We've got a couple news items that uh, transpired over the last week and let's start on the recruiting trail where Michigan state football picked up a commit from a quarterback, a three star from Texas by the name of Bo Edmondson. Uh, I don't I thought it was interesting that once he committed, uh, the reaction was a little mixed, mostly because most people kind of wondered where that left the Spartans with Dante Moore, who is the five star quarterback from Detroit, Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to look at Bo's highlight tape uh, after he committed, and I have to admit, I was actually pretty impressed by him. I loved his poise in the pocket. He's got a pretty strong arm, but I think the three star thing maybe is where people. For better, or for worse, kind of get thrown off. Chris, what did you think of, of the Spartans landing what presumably is right now their quarterback for the twenty twenty three class?
0: Yeah, I would imagine that they were pretty upfront with him and saying that that Moore is our primary target. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably one of them. I mean, but he still had good offers with Penn State and Purdue and Houston. I mean, a lot of high powered offenses. So you know, there's 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 definitely talent and upside there. But you know, you can only play one. You only one guy gets the ball. So. You know, is there signs out there that that Moore is looking elsewhere? I mean, he's got every major conference offering him. Every major school is offering him. So, I mean, you know, maybe they have an idea. I don't know. It'll be interesting because he was up on campus. We saw him at practice, basketball practice uh, a couple weeks ago and Mel Tucker went and visited MLK uh, the next day and, you know, he's got what Jonathan Slack, was offensive lineman committed to Michigan State. So, so there's ties there, um, you know, but yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's at some point and maybe there's, maybe there's an idea that a quarterback or two are going to leave the program uh, after spring ball, which is always a possibility as well. And you're trying to fill gaps for the future. So who knows? Um, but certainly, certainly, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to go out and pick up talent and then, you know, the way that things are constructed now. And I, I I've heard this from someone before who doesn't really share a lot of opinions but until these guys actually sign a letter of of intent <laughs> uh they they're, they're just pledges they're not really a commitment. Did, did anybody did anybody hear that before? Yeah,
1: I think I think he's used the word lean before I believe in a, on, on his tweets. Lean, I mean I don't I don't know who it is though. I can't remember his name.
2: <laughs> I think I think their intention is to commit and to sign. It's their intention as they speak is to sign. It'll be very interesting in this new new age, these guys who, who commit, pledge, whatever you want to call it, so early how many of them actually are part of the class. Um, but, yeah, no, it was interesting because, you know, everybody's – and I do think Michigan State fans, though, are in this spot during this build where they are going to poo-poo just about every three-star <laughs> that signs. And those guys are still – Valuable and 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 those guys get missed by the the uh, people. I mean, I, I look Alabama and Georgia the
0: skill, the skill positions. I think
2: Alabama and Georgia though aren't, aren't where they are because they're, they're loaded with three stars. So I'm not saying that you're not looking for the four or five star guys, but you're also realistically you're gonna the, the upper three star guys, the three star steals, the guys that are, are undervalued by the recruiting services, which get things wrong all the time, um, are are still you know. And it will be interesting to see is how Mel Tucker operates with quarterbacks in particular classes, because what we have seen with Mark D'Antonio, we saw they would get their quarterback for the class and that was it. And there may have been, you know, and and in this situation, they would probably tell a kid who was a higher recruit, Hey, it's yours if you want it, but we got to know now we got another kid ready to commit and and that sort of thing. And they get the other kid or, uh, um, and that was it. they, they, I don't know that Tucker's going to do that. This is, you know, and, and I don't know wh- where the, you know, maybe they, maybe they are, they have decided that this is the guy they want and, and he fits what they want to do, um, more. And, and, um, so I, again, I, I, it was interesting to see. Um, and, and I do think the three-star thing, look, Phil, we talk about it all the time, right? When you, if you write about a three-star, what does nobody read the, the article? Right. you write about a four star people yeah. read the article it it is what it is that it's built on the star situations you know the fans can't evaluate these guys the people who evaluate them half the time can't actually evaluate them some the times can sometimes it's obvious but it's it, it it just sort of is what it is i I don't know that um one will certainly be any better than the other
1: yeah as i and i I tweeted this when he committed uh I like his. I love his arm. He's got a pretty strong arm. And you, when you watch his, when you watch his film, it's like, oh man, this guy, this guy's got a cannon. I think, I think the Spartans fans should be pretty happy with his commit. But uh, I will also note that, I think if you read the recruiting services, that like Michigan State was allegedly the favorite for is slash was the favorite for Dante Moore too. So we'll see, we'll see how it transpires. Uh, I've got a couple other football notes here. I'll I'll just list them all off here, and you guys can kind of. Comment on whatever you want to about these three. Uh, Marco Coleman was officially hired as the defensive line coach. Uh, Michigan State's opener twenty twenty two opener versus Western Michigan was moved to a Friday night. And Kenneth Walker, Connor Hayward, Jalen Naylor were all invited to the NFL Combine. Chris, any of those pique your interest?
0: Well, we knew the three guys who were headed to the Combine. Obviously, nobody else uh, beyond those three. Uh, we kind of had an idea that you know pretty much the annual when are they going to announce moving the game to Friday night of Labor Day weekend. And we got it early this year. So that's a plus that at least we can make some schedules and other, other folks can make schedules to to be in East Lansing and then celebrate Labor Day. So, so that kind of leaves us with Marco Coleman, who, um, you know, he, he's kind of, I don't want to say necessarily a rising star, but he's certainly someone who's getting his, his, uh, feet wet in coaching right now. Um, I think he was about 18, 17 or 18. Uh, he began his coaching career, um, it, you know, more than a decade after his NFL playing career ended. Um, so he, he, I think he was an, a coaching fellow with the Eagles, then assistant defensive line coach with the Raiders, and then went to his alma mater at Georgia Tech uh, the last couple years, uh, coaching defensive line and outside linebackers. And Mel Tucker has a long standing relationship with him. They both arrived in Jacksonville in two thousand nine. Uh, Coleman had been a player in Jacksonville and st- and took over the radio pre and post game show at that point. And Tucker arrived as defensive coordinator in oh nine and then in twenty eleven served five games as interim coach. And Coleman so they have they have a relationship that has been long standing and established. So you know, you trust Tucker to to kind of see this guy's coaching star on the rise and and try and bring him into the mix to to really replace to me who a guy who's been an integral part of that defensive line since he was hired in thirteen and Ron Burton. That's that's those are tough shoes to fill. Um, and you know the hope I would think from Tucker's end is that they get a younger guy who can recruit, can develop, and mold and work with Brandon Jordan in in getting the defensive line to become. Uh, a l- more of a pressure based hand in hand unit with the interior and outside.
2: Chris, about said it all there. We'll wait to see what happens. They got rid of a really good defensive line coach, and they brought one in who might be. I'm. Uh, we'll see if there's a, a, a net gain one way or another.
1: All right, great podcast, guys. Any final thoughts before we sign off here for the week?
2: I got nothing for you. I think we covered a lot.
1: All right, we said it, we said it all, as Graham said 45 seconds ago. Chris.
0: Yeah, I need a nap after that. That was that was such a good podcast. I think I, I need to to revive myself before basketball interviews tonight there we go all
1: right thank you for joining us for this edition of spartan speak a production of the Lansing state journal detroit free press and the usa today network if you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it please consider subscribing you can follow our coverage at lsj.com freep.com, and on twitter at gram underscore couch at chris Solari, at phil underscore friend and to lsj green white thanks for listening